old, I learned the little poem and hand motions that went like this. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors. Where's all the people? But then we'd rearrange our fingers. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors. There's all the people. Do you remember? Some of I see you do it along with me, so... I hope we pass these traditions on. It's, uh, I grew up in a pastor's home, and obviously the second scenario was preferred on Sunday mornings. But it's, uh, it's interesting, as a young adult, I came to realize the New Testament never refers to a building as a church. Whenever it uses the word church, it's referring to a people. So I needed to go back and revise my little scenario I would just say this is the building this is the steeple open the doors and there's the church it's not as good poetry but it's good theology because you see as reinforced in this video the church is not a building nor is it an impersonal institution it's a people it's a people God has called out of all people to be his special people. And that's a high calling. It's a high calling, I'll admit, the world doesn't always see us living up to. We've fallen short. We've messed things up through our history as a church. But we have that, that high calling. And some may check out and not want to give any attention, but God doesn't check out. He gives a lot of attention to his church. This is the group that he's purchased. This is the group he's invested in. I admit it's not just people in the world. It's not just Christians that kind of check out. Even I at times have questioned God's wisdom in trusting us with his good news, with his perfect plan. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, a testament, I believe, but to the grace of God the certain salvation we have through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and the power of the Spirit. There is no greater evidence that God exists than that the church exists after all these years and all our foibles and imperfections. So here we are, looking at the church for a few weeks as we lead up to our 125th anniversary. We want to look at these metaphors for the church. But today, there's really no metaphor. It's just we are God's people to introduce the theme. We'll ground our thoughts in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10 especially. And I'll give you a little heads up. At the end, I trust we'll have at least a, a minute or two for you to just give some quick popcorn, praise God for God's people. And you might be thinking as uh, we reflect together on this text. So if you look at 1 Peter 2, 9, it starts with this, but you. The word you, in our individualistic mindset and culture, is often heard, first of all, as me, individually. But this is a plural you. I wish we could designate it more clearly in our translations. The whole context cannot be entered into as an individual. We've got to enter it as a people. We're talking about all y'all, not just you individually. 
God is addressing these thoughts to a group, a people, a community, the church. We've got to get out of our Western individualistic ideas about life to realize that God doesn't call any of us to live the Christian life alone. But by becoming a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, he places you in a group. He never intended you to be off on your own. He always intended you to be part of his church. And you are. If your faith is in Christ, you're part of this plural group. And so the first thing I want you to notice about God's people is we're talking about a plural group, community, the church. But then Peter moves on to say there's something really privileged about this group. He uses some four terms, kind of double descriptive terms for the church. He couples them together and draws them from Israel's past, and I've given you in the handout those texts if you want to study them later. But Peter is saying, basically, the church is the new and improved Israel. And that was a hard thing for a good Jewish boy to come to. He didn't come to it easily. If you want to read the story in, in Acts 10 and 11, you'll see that Peter needed some convincing to realize that God's plan was now moving out of his own Jewish people into Gentiles, non-Jews. And so for Peter to take these very Jewish biblical terms and apply them to this not always Jewish Christian church was a radical conversion for him. And so he calls the church a chosen race. Just as, just as Israel was called out of all peoples, not because they were great, but because, because God loved them, <clears throat> just as they were called out to be a chosen people group, so the church is called out, not because we were attractive or deserved it, but because God in his loving initiative said, I need a people to represent me in this world. And we've become part of his family, reborn through faith in Christ into a whole new race of people. A royal priesthood is the next term. Just as Israel had kings through the line of Judah and priests through the line of Levi, so now God is raising up rulers and, and priests to represent him, to rule in God's kingdom and to bring spiritual sacrifices through our praises and sharing our faith with others giving. And so it is that the church is following right in the footsteps of Israel. A holy nation. Just as Israel was called out, which is the idea of holy, set apart, made different, and were called into that national identity as God's people, so the church is to be a holy people. Holy through Christ's holiness, but called to be and live into that holiness in our practice. And to have our citizenship in heaven. It's a, it's a holy nation, the church is. But I love this last phrase, God's own people. It's hard to translate, but it's like precious possession. God's precious people. And just as Israel was that, so now the church 
is that we're precious not because we have that value in and of ourselves. It's not because of who we are. It's because of whose we are. Because we are his possession, we are valuable. And so it is that Peter wraps up all these very Jewish descriptions of Israel, applies them to the church, and gives us a a new identity. This week I had an opportunity to um, fill out a registration form, actually for a covenant event, and they wanted to know, it was optional, but they wanted to know my race. And I was looking at this text real closely. I thought, now, should I say chosen? I said, no, that's a little bit presumptuous, you know. I put Christian with an exclamation point. I'll see how that goes. I'll let you know if if I even get accepted into the event. But but I kind of wonder, and I think it, it should cause us to wonder. These descriptions are about race, about class, about nationality, about ownership. What if we downplayed our natural race? and class, and nationality, and ownership, and lifted up the spiritual race we're in. I wonder if some of the divisions and bickering that goes on, not only in the church, but in our world, might not be diffused and and eliminated, if not reduced, if we just lifted up the newer identity we have as a united people, not a divided people. We're God's people, regardless of what our natural race or class or citizenship. And we certainly are not our own people. We belong to him. But that high calling, that privilege, does not just end there with a period. The sentence goes on. Why are we privileged? Well, the text says, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of God. Now, I'll remind you, I'm going to give you a moment here in just a few minutes to to maybe proclaim the mighty works of God. Has God done a mighty act in your life recently or even a long ways back that you'd like to praise him for? That's what we're called into this privileged relationship to do, not to puff ourselves up, but to praise God and to proclaim his mighty acts to the whole world around us. This was never meant to be an exclusive club that we would just say, wow, chosen. Thank you very much. No, no, we're chosen to be a blessing to others. We've been blessed to be a blessing. That's exactly Israel's role, was to receive God's blessing, not to keep it to themselves, but to spread it to the whole world. And the church has been called to that same responsibility not just to act like privileged, spoiled kids, but to act like privileged kids who realize we've been privileged to have a very important purpose in God's kingdom, proclaiming the mighty acts of him who called you. Then he comes to one last thought I want to leave with you, and that is that God's people are pitied. That is not a complimentary term today. To be pitied sounds kind of condescending and disappointing if you're pitied. But I think it's important for us to recognize that we have been pitied by God, and that keeps us in a right frame of mind. We're not his people because we're special. 
We're his people because he's special. And he's done some marvelous things. Peter says, he called you, and he's saying, y'all, all y'all. He called all y'all out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Just as Abraham was called out of Ur, just as Israel was called out of Egypt, just as Israel regathered from exile in Babylon, God is calling the church out of all people groups and bringing them into special relationship with him. He's called us out of sin and death and given us life in his spirit of holiness. What a great gift. Only God can do that. Did we deserve that? No. Did Israel deserve it? No. But God has done it, and we, we praise him, and we tell others because he wants all people to become his people. We don't keep this to ourselves. Then in verse 10, Peter starts to rift a bit on Hosea's story. And if you know the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament, he had the interesting task of living in a time where everything was breaking down, falling apart. It was bad. And so God had him name his daughter Not Pitied. That's what her name means, Not Pitied. And then he named his son Not My People. And I try to imagine Hosea going through town introducing his children to people. Um, this is not pitied and not my people. Because Hosea was to live out the message, Israel, you've fallen, you've broken the covenant, and you are not pitied any longer, and you are not my people. But then later in his ministry, Hosea started to realize that God was saying, no, someday... Someday out there in the future, you will be pitied, and you will become my people. And so as Peter starts to reflect on Hosea's story, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received pity, mercy, grace, love, but now you have. What a great change God has done. Did we deserve that? No, he did that. It's all about his amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I wasn't attractive to him. I once was blind, but now I see I was lost, but now I'm found. This is a change that Peter is saying only God can bring about. Only God can make us God's people. He's the one who's amazing, not us. So let's praise him. We've got a couple minutes. I'll give you just...